Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Give yourself the ultimate gift of a stress-free holiday with Next Evo Naturals fast-absorbing CBD products. Next Evo's Stress CBD Complex gummies are clinically proven to have four times better absorption than standard CBD. No other CBD brand can promise that. Get smarter CBD from Next Evo Naturals and get up to 25% off subscription orders of $40 or more at nextevo.com slash podcast. Promo code WILLCOLE. This episode is brought to you by my friends at Timeline Nutrition. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up and welcome to The Art of Being Well. I am a leading functional medicine doctor. I get to consult people around the world via webcam. I started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world. And I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, The Inflammation Spectrum, Ketotarian. If you wanna learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center, becoming a patient, the books, there's lots of free resources there for you as well. You can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's dr. W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E dot com and listeners of The Art of Being Well. I have a brand new book. If you haven't heard, it's called Gut Feelings, Healing the Shame-Fueled Relationship Between What You Eat and How You Feel. I'm really talking in the book about the latest scientific research around shame and chronic stress and trauma and even intergenerational trauma. The science is unreal, but it really a book exploring how these mental, emotional, spiritual things impact our physical health, impact things like chronic inflammation and dysregulated hypervigilant nervous system or hormonal imbalances or gut-brain axis issues, digestive issues. But then conversely, I'm talking about how physiological things like underlying gut problems and mold toxicity and nutrient deficiencies, how those things impact our mental, emotional health, impact things like anxiety and depression and fatigue and brain fog. So gut feelings, physiological, psychological. So excited. We're giving away lots of free stuff when you pre-order gut feelings. So head on over to drwillcool.com for all the information on that. 
And we're also giving away free signed books when you head on over to Apple Podcast and rate and review The Art of Being Well there. Tell us what you love about the show. And no matter when you listen to this episode, my team and I will be randomly picking winners every single month. You can do it two different ways. You can leave your Instagram handle in the Apple Podcast review itself, or you can screenshot your Apple Podcast review and message me on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole. And every month I'll be going through with my team the Instagram messages as well as the Apple Podcast review. And then I'll reach out to you and we'll ask what book you want to have signed and then we'll send it out to you. So yeah, good luck. Let's get to today's guest. His name is Anurag Singh. This man is brilliant. Anurag is currently the chief medical officer at Timeline Nutrition that develops next generation advanced nutritional products targeting improvements in mitochondrial and cellular health. With an MD in internal medicine, a PhD in immunology, and an MBA, his experience includes work for consumer health like Nestle and Nestle Health Science and biotech companies like Amazentis. He's authored more than 30 articles for top science journals, designed and led more than 40 clinical trials, and his research has focused on the postbiotic urolithin A over the past decade across multiple clinical trials. This is a jam-packed episode full of tons of information about longevity, about health span, about autophagy and anti-aging pathways. You're going to love it. Let's get right to it. This is Dr. Anurag Singh's Art of Being Well. Anurag, my friend, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Sure. Pleasure's mine, Will. I am such a fan of your work and your brilliance. And we started talking before we started recording, and I said, your name is so powerful, Anurag. What's the origin of the name? Etymology and name meanings is such a, a fascination of mine. Sure. Well, I, I grew up in India where I trained as an internal medicine doctor in the Indian language, in, which is Hindi. It means heavenly love. So, you know. Love it. Was, yeah. Are you living up to your name, some heavenly love in the world? Well, it's, the, it's, it's my love for research. <laughs> From India to the U.S. and then now in Switzerland. So yeah, pretty I much. Love it. I love it. You're bringing heavenly brilliance to earth today, for sure, for everybody listening. So you're based in Switzerland, right? Yeah, we're based out of Switzerland. What's life like in Switzerland for you? Well, Switzerland is this small country in the midst of Europe and pretty much famous for cheese, chocolate, fondues, and being neutral, right? So <laughs> That's right. But it's also famous for innovation in, in, in life sciences. A lot of great companies, have, it's very famous for its innovation, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we, we are based out of the Swiss Innovation, Swiss Institute of Technology, which is like the two big MIT, Harvard kind of institutes here in mm -hmm. Switzerland. And so the work that we talk about comes from a lot of top labs and the university and, and the company is a spinoff of the university. I love that. So let's jump right into it. Um, sure. How did you get into this field? We're going to talk about mitochondrial health and yeah. mitochondria research and how to really optimize that in our lives today. Mm -hmm. well, how did you come to this very specific field of, of science? Yeah. So, well, as I started mentioning by training, I'm a internal medicine doctor. I trained in India, then moved to the U.S. And I felt nutrition in particular is, is not part of the medical school curriculum, right? So they don't teach you how to prevent disease. They tell you how to manage symptoms and, and delay the, the eventual sort of symptomatology. 
And so I got interested, actually, I was one of my first interests in covering new natural compounds started in the US in the lab I was training with. And from there, just kind of evolved. And, and I started, I moved to Switzerland and then got involved with Amazentis. And I met met Chris and Patrick, who were the founders of Amazentis. And and the belief of the company really spoke to me. And that's when I became employee number three, gosh, almost close to 10 years back. And the belief was that, you know, we bring the, the life science biotech approach to nutrition and really sort of the deep understanding of the biology and the science of how a lot of things in our, our daily diet and fruits and nuts and how they shape human health and, and what's in it. And so that's how it started. And, and we were looking and pomegranate fascinated us. And we started doing a, a deep dive into pomegranate, which has hundreds and thousands of beneficial compounds. And that's how we started deconstructing it. And we came to mitochondrial research. I love that. So you're, you mentioned something that I, I talk about often and people ask me all the time, well, why is it this way? Is the fact that when a physician is f- conventionally trained only, they basically have to have a personal passion like yours to really go and to postdoctorate education training and be, and sometimes self being self-trained but certainly mm-hmm. there's the institute for functional medicine and many other yeah. integrative medicine postdoctorate training avenues do you have a personal opinion why it is the way that it is in conventional medicine training when so many chronic health problems are lifestyle driven why there's little to no nutrition training for physicians. Yeah, I don't think I have an answer to that, but I, I think part of the problem is how Western medicine trains the physicians today, right? Look at the disease as, a, as the end spectrum of a combination of things rather than, and, and as you mentioned, if you look at all diseases and aging, right, there somehow could all be tackled earlier on by good nutritional guidance and sound advice on physical activity levels. But very rarely. I mean, these are advices you would give when a patient comes to clinic. And, and I think it's starting to change, but as you, you know, you probably know that as well. It, it needs some case studies and success stories, I think. I agree with you. I absolutely concur that I've seen a lot of change over the past 12 years. There's a growing amount of conversations and resources and accessibility within the conventional model. I mean, if you look, The Cleveland Clinic has a functional medicine center and many other Mm -hmm. mainstream medical institutions have integrative and functional medicine centers. So I think things are changing, but you're right. It takes time and it's a massive industry, right? With a lot of Mm -hmm. variables to consider that are above my pay grade that involve lots of money and power and influence. So let's jump right into your line of work, which I know everybody listening to the podcast will be fascinated about, is mitochondrial health. We've touched upon it in past episodes, but we haven't gone as deep as we're going to go in this conversation today. Sure. Can we define mitochondria for people that are maybe like, I know roughly what it is, but why should they care, I guess, about mitochondrial health? Well, I'm sure every conversation on mitochondria starts with the the label, they are the powerhouses of the cell, right? And that's pretty much textbook language. But what mitochondria are basically, they're key cellular organelles that are basically energy factories. So think of them as the battery in your Tesla car that needs to be churning energy. And that's what they do. And so when you grow older, as you're aging, when you're feeling fatigued, for example, after the end of a day, it's these little cellular organelles that are behind it. 
or as you exercise and you take time to recover as you age, the recovery time increases. It's again because mitochondria are not at the optimal shape. And, and that's why we care essentially, right? Things like endurance, fatigue, and mitochondria are most abundant in organs that are very metabolically active. So the skeletal muscle, so mobility involves a lot of energy consumption, but production. So you see a lot of mitochondria in skeletal muscle. Neuronal cells, so our brain cells have a lot of mitochondria because you need to have that clarity of thought. And so when people, you know, think of brain fog, that's part of, again, one of the reasons is, is that your mitochondria and your brain cells are, are not functioning optimally. And heart, right? So heart is another organ that requires a lot of metabolic demand. And so, yeah, essentially any metabolic organ that is key to human functioning and longevity is the mitochondria are central to that. Mm -hmm. And how many people out there, right? I mean, I, I hear this all the time from people. They think, well, it's just because I'm getting older and there's nothing I can do about it. And But yet we know the data around accelerated aging and a lot of our modern way of life with that epigenetic, genetic, evolutionary mismatch, if you will, that they settle for things they don't have to settle for. Do you see that a lot? And the people, they think it's just a product of their age, but yet they're aging faster than they need to. Yeah, I, I think if you ask a regular person how they think about mitochondria, I think energy is something that people are familiar with, right? So they do recognize that decline in energy has something to do with their cellular health and their uh, sort of mitochondrial health in general. But beyond that, how can you really improve it? The education is always lacking behind. Exercise is one. You know, intermittent fasting is one. And then there's obviously a lot of research in areas of nutritional interventions that can boost the mitochondrial health. So I think that is coming up, the awareness now. But I, I think gradually, you know, scientists and clinicians need to get out more and make it more palatable for the general mm -hmm. audience what mitochondrial yeah. health is. Right, right. Absolutely. And that hopefully we can do that through this conversation. Sure. So I'm fascinated about, I've heard you talk about postbiotics, which we mm -hmm. use clinically quite a bit for our patients, but people have heard about prebiotics and probiotics, but maybe not so aware of what postbiotics are. What are postbiotics for people that are new to this? And then what's the connection between postbiotics and mitochondrial health? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. So typically everybody's probably heard of, as you mentioned, pre and probiotics. And so prebiotics is the food that the healthy gut bacteria in our gastrointestinal system need to sort of live well. And probiotics are part of that equation where you need to keep seeding your gut microsystem or your gut microbiome to, to have a good digestion and a good functioning gastrointestinal system. Now, what postbiotics are is basically the end product of the metabolism from the prebiotics that these probiotics are releasing. And that is what is actually beneficial to their host, which is us, right? So these are postbiotics are, to me, the end products of a perfect gut ecosystem and that are beneficial to us, not to, to these little buggers that are outlining and have a symbiotic relationship with us. So that's the postbiotic. Now, postbiotics could be bacteria that sort of dead in their cellular components. They can be a short chain fatty acid. So, you know, part of the sort of the fat metabolism. And then from the diet and the fruits and nuts we are eating, postbiotics, the one that we are working on is called urolitin A. And so these, these are basically end products of digestion from pomegranates, walnuts, pecans, and even from things like a sort of a lot of vitamin B are postbiotics too that, that these gut microbiome are releasing. The connection with mitochondrial health is very intricate. Uh, 
mitochondria evolutionary were sort of bacterial fragments and organelles that sort of co-evolved with the host. And, and so there's a big, big impact of a lot of these postbiotics and mitochondrial health and how a lot of the gut links to the gut brain axis, gut immune axis. And, and so a lot of these postbiotics through mitochondrial impacts change a lot of immune health, mobility, et cetera. Love that. So you touched on a few things. As far as the clinical side of things with my telehealth clinic is we measure short chain fatty acids and the amount of people that I see because of really an unhealthy gut microbiome and abnormal amounts, like lower levels of things like butyrate and other short chain fatty acids, which are needed for a healthy immune system, healthy inflammation, mm-hmm. healthy mitochondria. But I want to unpack something that is always been fascinating to me that I wanted to not just skip over is you mentioning the fact that research is really showing that mitochondria are originally basically descendants. I don't know if that's a great way of putting it, but remnants of a foreign bacteria that now is a part of the human body, which Mm -hmm. sounds science fiction, but is quite scientific. Can you Mm -hmm. go back to that point and explain that a little bit for people that are newer to that concept? Sure. I mean, again, it's sort of the whole equation now that we see the gut microbiome with, right? That we we live in a symbiotic relationship. They derive their nutrients from the foods and diet we're eating, and and then they kind of help the human host to have a healthy digestion, for example, or health benefits. And similar mitochondria were evolutionary ancient bacteria that sort of entered into our cells. And in the symbiotic relationship, they started deriving the nutrients from our cell, you know, sort of the diets, you know, originally, I guess, the hunter-gatherers and things like this. But then they started producing, being the sort of the engines of, of energy inside these cells and producing what we call as the currency of energy, which is ATP. And so that's essentially the symbiotic relationships, much similar to the gut microbiome that yeah. exists you know, with these mitochondria. Right. And you look at the research of of how there's this crosstalk, if you will, between all the trillions of bacteria in our gut with our brain and how there's studies that show that different bacterial colonies and maybe even part of the mycobiome, the yeast and fungal colonies, how that influences cravings and our mood and energy Mm -hmm. levels. But then it's not just the microbiome, as you said, our actual inside our cells are the mitochondria, which is in, in effect bacteria as well that that is also influencing so many things in our body. We're one just massive, sophisticated host for these bacterial colonies. You mentioned the postbiotic of urolithin A. Mm -hmm. What are the origins of it? How was it first discovered? Yeah. So, you know, at the start, I mentioned that we started looking at deep dive into the pomegranate and really deconstructing the pomegranate. And so, believe it or not, we went around and sourced pomegranates from all around the world, you know, from regions which are big pomegranate producers and juicing them and and really started studying the the health benefits of the different components, one component at a time. And every time we would do these experiments, there was would always be one link and, and that would be sort of this gut metabolite called the Tanae now. In the pomegranate are these antioxidants, the polyphenols, as we call them. And these are large, complex phenolic molecules that exist in just not the pomegranate. You can find them in nuts like pecans and and walnuts. You can find them in a lot of red berries or raspberries. And these are polyphenols are called elagitanins. And so when you're drinking a glass of pomegranate juice or you're eating a bowl of nuts, if you do have the right gut microbiome, 
you will produce some of these urolatins, and there are a few urolatins produced by the host, which is us. So you can produce urolatin A, B, C, D, etc. But the main predominant one that is present is urolatin A. And so we were working with a very famous uh, mitochondrial professor called Professor Johann Albrechts, who basically was, you know, his lab studies aging in mitochondria in the context of human aging. And, and they always start with worms because worms live much less longer. And so you can quickly study effects of nutrients in these worms and how long they live. And so he would put elagitanins in, in the diet of these worms and they would not have any benefit. And so he started, we gave him the urolatin A. And he came back running and saying, wow, you, what is this compound? Because it's extending lifespan by 45% in these worms. And, and it's having these great impacts on mobility that I've only seen calorie restriction have. So that started us on the journey to urolatin A. And from there, a whole series of lines into older rodents, for example, really studying how this was and into effects on muscle and mobility, you know, how this was improving endurance by 40%. So that's how we got into urolatin A and have translated it. But gut microbiome is a key. So we have done a lot of studies where we see that a lot of human populations cannot make this molecule, even if they are eating the right diet, even if they are eating the right foods. And, and the answer is basically you need to be eating right and you need to have a good gut microbiome. So the, the mechanism seems to be, right, the, the, that crosstalk between the microbiome and the yeah. mitochondria and specifically urolithin A stimulates mitophagy, right? So can you talk about mitophagy and what is urolithin A doing for mitophagy? Mitophagy is this very well-conserved anti-aging pathway that exists in all our cells, right? And what happens over time as we age is that mitophagy levels start declining. And what mitophagy, just to simplify it, it's like the garbage disposal mechanism that exists in our cells. So think of your garbage bin in your kitchen or in your house. You know, if it's filling up all the time and you're not taking out the, the waste out, then your house will not smell well. And that's exactly what happens in, in, in our cells. Over time with aging, mitophagy rates decline. And so now you're accumulating a lot of cellular waste and garbage that you can clean and that leads to poor energy production. And so that is essentially mitophagy. And what we see with urolatin A is that it boosts mitophagy. So it can take dysfunctional cells, boost mitophagy, which means now you clear out the waste and you get better healthier newer mitochondria that are very efficient at producing energy. So what we're talking about, everybody, we're talking about longevity, health span, which I know a lot of the listeners are very fascinated about the science and different ways to support longevity. And the science is completely compelling when it comes to urolithin A and its ability to support our longevity through the increasing mitophagy. So is it fair to say, I, the way that I would think of mitophagy, it's, it's sort of autophagy for the mitochondria. Is that, is that fair to say? It, it's perfect. Yeah, it's, that's, what, that's how we describe it. It's basically a form of autophagy, but very specific to mitochondrial. Yeah. So it's these sort of anti-accelerated aging, rejuvenative, youthful pathways. Why are they so, or maybe, I mean, I'm throwing my opinion on here. Do you feel like autophagy and mitophagy are more significantly inhibited today versus a few hundred years ago? What's your thoughts on that? And then if it is, for the people listening today, what are the mm -hmm. biggest detriments to inhibited mitophagy? Well, the two known ways that we have out there that are well known to induce autophagy or mitophagy is regular exercise and caloric restriction or intermittent fasting, right? Now, 
evolutionary again we were eat fresh fruits and fiber intakes were high and and we were eating you know off the farm as they say and and things have changed we all eating a lot of processed food we're eating a different kind of diets i can share that i don't have the right gut microbiome actually to to make your latte so i can drink six glasses of pomegranate juice or eat a bowl of nuts my body won't make your latte so i think part of it is the gut microbiome angle part of it is our sedentary habits that have kind of you know we were moving around more now we are you know kind of restricted to our desks and working all the time and so and we see that we we have studied muscle from 70 year olds who are training for half marathons versus 70 year olds who are leading a sedentary lifestyle and we've taken chunks of muscle what would be called muscle biopsy and we see that autophagy and mitophagy and mitochondrial health in general is severely compromised in these sedentary old folks. So a lot of that is lifestyle, as you were starting mm-hmm. to say at the start of the show. Yeah, 100%. And you think of the combination of food and nutrient density and activity you mentioned, exercise, and then the so- how our microbiome is so intimately connected to the soil microbiome and what's happening to that. And that's the soil in which our food is grown in as well when you're talking about nutrient density. So something that popped up on my mind was when you tested originally all the different pomegranates from the different areas, did you mm-hmm. find... Some pomegranates were better than others. Any findings there? Yeah, so they differ in their polyphenolic content, as I was mentioning. They differ in their elegitanin content. And we see that. We've gone on and looked at different pomegranate extracts out there being sold as well. And they all are very different in their sort of categories of polyphenol, the content. And so it really depends on how much of these dietary precursors you're being exposed to. And then, you, of course, as I mentioned, you need the right gut microbiome. So Sometimes in our clinical studies, we run into folks who can probably produce very well latine from, from their dietary exposure and who perhaps then can, can sort of tighter the amount of direct supplementation needed. So we do see that uh, different pomegranates source were very different in their profile. Yeah. So what's going on today with the average human being out there doesn't have the healthiest microbiome. There's a lack of bacterial diversity and testing this for yourself with your gut microbiome, you cannot produce urolithin A on its own. So my thought would be, okay, using food as medicine, can we, and you kind of answered the question, but for the person that's listening out there and thinking, okay, I'll just increase more pomegranates in my life to produce this postbiotic urolithin A. Mm-hmm. What's the effectiveness of that? Is it effective to increase your A? So we actually did a randomized control study where we actually did a head-to-head with a glass of 100% pomegranate juice compared to direct supplementation with with A. And what we were amazed in this study was done actually in a downtown area in in Chicago. And so we called in 100 folks. And when we looked at their sort of free living levels of urolithine, only 12% actually had some levels of urolithin A, and it was very variable. So let's say maybe two out of those 100 folks, 2% out of those would have enough that maybe you would get from direct supplementation, right? So the sort of the health benefit range. And then when they drank and when we gave them, let's say the optimal diet, 40% did. So Mm -hmm. a lot of it is not eating, as you were saying, the right foods in our daily diet. They have the gut microbiome, but they're not eating it. But even after that, 60%, who were given the right diet couldn't. And that's where the gut microbiome comes in. And, and a lot of time you 
could increase the amount of, and I've done that growing up, I guess in India, I got a lot of antibiotics and my gut microbiome never recovered, right? So the only way I can get the direct benefits of urolithinase through supplementation. Right. And the research around these formative years of human life and the way babies are born, whether it's vaginally or C-section, and if they're breastfed or not breastfed, and then the first few years of a life, antibiotic a use and the foods you're fed, that determines a massive amount of our microbiome as adults. It's kind of sobering and maybe can be depressing to some of us because we weren't even making decisions when all these decisions were made for us, mm -hmm. but we can't do anything about it now. I mean, there's a lot you can do to improve your microbiome by, like we said, improving nutrient density, supporting gut health. It's what I do for a living is support people's gut health, but there's only so much wiggle room. And I think that's where supplementation targeted based on the research can be really beneficial to overcompensate for not the most perfect microbiome because we're living in you know 21st century with with all its you know potential problems that can come along with it. So supplementing with urolithin A, what's the data show as far as the amount of the, the dose we should be getting in a day to see the benefits? So the levels we get with direct supplementation, let's say 500 milligrams of, of mitopure or urolithin A, is that you would need to drink like six glasses of, of pomegranate juice. So that's what the data shows. <laughs> and, and six glasses of juice, I don't know many people who drink that, but comes with its own sugar. A lot of fruit. Yeah, a lot of sugar. Yeah, you got it. And then I, I think even if you did the diet, which is highly recommended, and we've looked at the microbiome of these blessed people who actually naturally produce it. We've even developed the test using just finger prick blood spots. So you could actually make the decision for yourself whether you need to and how much you need to supplement. And actually, these blessed people, as you were saying, is really points down to having a much rich and much diverse microbiome. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a decision that, well, it was easy for me because I, I can drink six glasses and still not make it. So is there an amount of milligrams or grams? Like what's the dose that you would recommend sure. for the average so listener out there? We started, you know, the first studies we ran that we published in Nature Metabolism was we were seeing effects that, that translated into humans, you know, from the earlier experiments to about 250 milligrams, which is basically what you find in, in one pill today that, you know, our company sells. And so what we did was we started increasing the doses from 250, 500 and a gram. And the best data is around 500 and a gram today. And that's the sort of the commercial dosage where you get increases in bioavailability and absorption and you start seeing effects at a physiological level on mm -hmm. muscles such as VO2 max and on strength and endurance. And, and so, yeah, that's the commercial dose is around 500. A lot of folks take a gram because, yeah, we do know that uh, this molecule also has anti-inflammatory effects. I mean, it's a gut-derived molecule, so of course it has some impact on the immune system. And so, yeah, at a gram, you start seeing better, even more different effects of, of this molecule. Got it. And you touched upon it right now, but that was my next question is, what are some of the like biggest benefits that people would notice being observed in the in the clinical trials? Yeah. So we started studying this molecule 15 years back. So it's taken us 15 years to, to just crack the cellular health and, and muscle health equation of this molecule. What we are seeing in clinical studies is people have more energy. So when they do exercise, for example, older adults, they last longer on the exercise. So they tend to fatigue less. We run studies in 40-year-old in men and women and we see that uh, they have better muscle strength and endurance. And so if you were to do a walking test, for example, they walk a further distance. So these are some of the things all linked to energy and fatigue in the end, right? So I, I'm sure there's always ongoing 
research, any latest updates on research on Lurathin A that we can keep an eye out for? Any you know tips, sneak peeks, and and sure. what's going on? There's a lot going on. I mean, as I said, we started it uh, 15 years back, but then since then, a lot of top scientists and clinicians have started looking into the molecule because mitophagy and mitochondrial health is just not key to to mobility and muscle health. So I'm aware that the National Institute of Aging and the Buck Institute of Aging have a big research program and a grant of multi-million to look into brain health and neurodegeneration aspects of, of this molecule. So there's the whole the brain, you know, the impact it can have on, on improving cognition and delaying sort of the decline in cognitive function. And then there's a lot of research now is on immune health. Immune cells have a lot of mitochondria. And so there was a study published actually in the U.S. a few years back showing that it taking urolitin A improved the inflammatory bowel disease, which didn't surprise me as an immunologist because it's a gut molecule produced. And so it will have an impact on gut barrier and things. And more group in Germany has started looking at its impact on on very specific immune cells called T cells that really are key to, to good immune function and and they see a, a big impact on improving immune health in, in these kind of settings. And so, yeah, that's part of the ongoing research. We ourselves are getting into skin and, and looking at how just not taking orally, but uh, how, you know, aging is pretty much cellular, but also visual. So mm -hmm. as we grow old, our skin changes and it's the largest organ. And so we have been looking into how, if you apply this and, and develop a skincare topical products, how this changes a visual sort of skin aging aspects. And so that's part of some of the research we're doing. That's fascinating. Just and it makes sense from the inside out and the outside in to support that. A lot of the listeners are interested in beauty from the inside out and the outside in. Do do you see any? As we're talking years before we see urolithin A in skincare that's effective to get the benefits of it. No, it's not years. Actually, the part of the. 15 years, a lot of it was on muscle, but over the last couple of years, we've done all the hard work and, and the research is being written up as we speak. And the product is going to be started selling probably this week. So we have a whole, right. whole, whole range of skincare products that will have MitoPure to, oh. to, to address both the intrinsic and extrinsic aging of the skin, as you were saying. I love that. Well, hey, I did not know that. And we got, we got a first sneak peek right now. I didn't even mean to. So uh, we've been talking about longevity, youthful supporting these metophagy pathways. Are there any other compounds, any other pro tips? You mentioned fasting, nutrient density, supporting gut health, any other things that you think may be interesting, fascinating that maybe people aren't aware of to support longevity that you love? Yeah, I mean, it boils down to good cellular health, right? In, in the end, and can do other than what we just discussed in exercise and, and fasting. There are a lot of nutrients out there. CoQ10, for example, it has long been studied in, and CoQ10 is efficient if you have good functioning mitochondria. So, so it will make them more efficient. That's so it mm -hmm. hits the efficiency part of the mitochondrial equation. There's NAD boosters, for example, that, you know, NAD levels are known to decline with aging. And so a lot of these B vitamins and are known to be NAD boosters and, and, and they help in what is called as mitochondrial biogenesis. So increasing the number of healthy mitochondria. And so these are some of the things you can do along with the, of course, activating mitophagy as well with this tenacious biotic. 
You have a specific, I mean, there's nicotinamide riboside, there's nicotinamide mononucleotide. Do you have a specific NAD precursor that you like more than one more than the other? I don't have a, a bias in either. I think in general, boosting NAD is useful. And, and I do think that niacinamide or niacin, the, the original uh, sort of B, B3 Mm-hmm. Uh, vitamin B3 compounds were, were pretty much good enough. So there's still research is still early on. Now, you may not know it, but our company was one of the first to publish back in 2011, the first work on NAD modulation through nicotinamide riboside. And at the same time, we had urolithin A as a as research stream, and we were just wowed by urolithin A. And so we kind of went down the route of urolithin A. But I think, yeah, adding NAD boosters, they, they're known to have a big impact too. Mm-hmm. I don't have a preference. I think okay. B3 would probably do the trick too. All right. This has been a rich conversation, my friend. Thank you. As you know, the podcast is called The Art of Being Well. At the end of every episode, we have Your Art of Being Well, where I want to throw a few different questions about wellness. I want to pick your brain about different things within wellness to see, to learn from from a genius that lives and breathes this stuff. First question is, what's the worst tasting food in your life that you still eat because it's so good because of the maybe the science behind the health benefits of it, nutrient density, whatever reason for your health, but it still tastes horrible. Is there any food that fits that criteria for you? (laughs) Yeah. Again, I grew up in India and there's a a vegetable called the bitter gourd out there. And it's very rich in compounds that are known to have a sort of a anti-diabetic effect. And I trained initially in India and, and practiced in India as a medical doctor in of course, it's the diabetic capital of the world now with so much increased sugar consumption. Yeah, so that's one vegetable that I think has a lot of potential in bioactives. The other one I, I don't like, but, but I eat a lot and I tell my daughter to eat a lot is broccoli. It has all these sulfur brains that are known to to hit a lot of biological pathways. So, yeah. I love it. I, I agree. So the first, you said bitter gourd. Is that the same as a bitter melon when the research around diabetes and... Yeah, yeah, you got okay, it. Yeah. Got it, got it. Yeah, yeah. It's it, I love the research around bitter melon. I've never eaten it. I've only taken it in capsule form. So what? Yeah. I'm assuming it's very bitter. I mean, what? Anything beyond the bitterness? What's it taste like? So a lot of people juice it and and, and they they leave out and let the you know put these bitter melons in in sort of salty water and they juice it. So the, and a lot of folks I remember would swear by drinking it early in the morning, the first thing it, where you're fasting, you know, overnight fasting. And that would have a big impact on your daily blood glucose fluctuations, for example. Now, I've looked into the science and I was fascinated by it. But yeah, that that's kind of part of my... And you mentioned broccoli. I absolutely agree with you with just sulfur-rich vegetables. We had some sulforaphane researchers on not that long ago. And it's a great way to get it. And broccoli sprouts too. How old are your kids? I, I try to get my kids to eat these foods and... It's it's a challenge sometimes as parents. Yeah, it, it is. It is. You know, my daughter's ten, so you know she grew up here in Switzerland, eating a lot of chocolate fondue and, and cheese fondue. <laughs> so more vegetables is more fiber. So if nothing else, I've taught her. You know, this is fiber. It's good for for your for your digestion. So yeah, it's good for your microbiome diversity for sure. Yeah. If you had to pick, you know, you live in a dream destination for people around the world, anyways, than Switzerland. But for yourself, what's your dream vacation? You know, my dream vacation is to go to places where, you know, so sort of these blue zones so where they have people living until like 100 years and really spend a lot of time there. So it's Sardinia is one of them. 
here in Italy. Then there's, you know, Okinawa in Japan. So sort of not the island life in particular, but but just live amongst them to try and understand, you know, what what is it? I mean, of course, diet and moving around, I guess uh, the sunshine is probably vitamin D is part of the equation there. You know, that's probably my dream vacation is to live and then keep my passion of research, just trying to understand what is this longevity diet and what are the things inside these foods and and probably a lot of fish eating behavior, right? So a lot yeah. of omega three. So it's probably a mix of multi component things that lead to longevity in these yeah. places. Yeah. That, no, that's I, my I hear you. And but to be immersed in the culture, I think, is what you're saying, which is probably yeah. so different than reading about the the facets. Oh, yeah, it's actually yeah. see yeah, it reading, firsthand. You read as many books, but you have to feel it to yeah, sort of exactly. yeah, take a sabbatical for three months and live there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you mentioned some supplements that have been game changers for you. Urolithin A, you've mentioned bitter melon for you personally. Any other supplement that has been a big game changer for you personally, or you've seen be a needle mover for your own wellness? Yeah, I mean, probiotics, right? I mean, there's a lot of noise around probiotics. Everybody has their own favorite blend of probiotics. I, I Before I started studying postbiotics, I spent a good part of 10 plus years studying probiotics and how they would impact things like the immune system and things like allergy development in kids and back to the discussion we were having in gut microbiome. So I, I, I do take a lot of good probiotics, a lot of bifidobacterium strains. And, and so that's one then some immune boosting, especially with the COVID thing that we all heard about in the last two years a lot. So I do have my vitamin D and vitamin C and sort of zinc combination. This whole idea of stacking, right? One set of supplements for immune health, one set of supplements for, for your gut digestion. And, and then what is holding a sort of the, the bedrock at the cellular level is, is things like urolitinae, and that's how I approach uh, a mm -hmm. lot of my stacking of the supplements. Yeah. Are there any, not necessarily bad things, but there, do you feel like there's any overrated supplements out there that you feel like, oh man, it, it may be all right, but it's kind of like dramatized on, online or, or in the health blogosphere? Yeah, I mean, there are some things that, you know, like, to be honest, I haven't seen this too much of science around things like kinesia, for example, for, mm -hmm. for immune boost. I mean, there are some studies out there, but yet I think in, in the consumer knowledge, I think that kinesia is pretty big. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, I, I can look at it from a clinician scientist lens, or I can look at it from a sort of consumer lens. And vitamin C is, is a good example. I, I believe in the science, but what we lack in general today, and that's part of the effort we're trying here, is nobody knows. You take a gram of vitamin C or you take four oranges. Do you even know how much vitamin C you're absorbing? No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, if somebody actually made a small test and, and allowed you to look at your levels before you dosed enough vitamin C, I think that's where the whole space needs to kind of move in and not been seen as this, you know, wild, wild west of dietary supplementation, but more like a tech field where you can do precision nutrition. And, mm -hmm. and so that's part of the, you know, why we made this test even too. So you can already look at your urotony levels and then decide if you want a supplement or not. Yeah, I love that. I, I think you're absolutely right. When you talk about dosages, whether it's milligrams, micrograms, grams of whatever, it's, well, what's the bioavailability of these things? Like, it's like yeah. just because you're taking in these mega doses doesn't mean it's effective or even yeah. desired, right, to have it. 
another aspect of wellness that we talk about on the podcast and I implement for patients are different mindfulness practices and maybe mind-body practices. For you personally, are there any spiritual or mindfulness practices or tools in that area that have been very helpful for you? Yeah, sure. I I do a lot of sort of meditation. That's part of, I guess, my growing up in India kind of culture and a lot of yoga that helps as well. So meditation, I realize, is, is absolutely key when you're living a very fast-paced life with work and kids and, you know, even with all the supplements that you could take or a lot of daily regimens you could do, I, I think meditation helps me a lot. Just a few minutes, just clearing out the thoughts, not looking at the screen. This has become the biggest bane of our society, our, our cell phones. So yeah, trying to switch it off and just, yeah, that helps. Some screen-free time. Is there any specific type of meditation that you like particularly? Not necessarily. I mean, you know, I, I kind of listen to some music, like sort of chanting. I don't know if you know the, the word yeah. Om. Om in, in Indian mythology is sort of resonating with the sounds of the universe. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, you can just chant that and, and kind of meditate on it. The research around the psychoacoustic research, basically the looking at the physics and the psychology of sound and how it, these ancient mantras, I don't know, mm-hmm. are you familiar with She's a, an Indian medical doctor. She does a lot of research around these ancient mantras. Her name's Dr. Kulreet Chaudhary. She has a book mm-hmm. called Sound Medicine, where she really talks. It's, they're researching this in India and looking sure. at how these vibrations of sound actually shifts our human physiology. Oh, well, I totally believe that. Touch even, right? So sometimes the touch of a person. I mean, I, I, I train with doctors who could touch and f- look at your tongue and feel your pulse and tell you your health. And so that's a very, you know, sort of paradigm shift to where we are with the medical practices and maybe time to sort of merge the two. I think that's where we're headed. I I totally agree. What's your favorite restaurant in the world? And when you're there, what do you order? Well, favorite restaurant has to be my own kitchen. No, (laughs) my daughter loves my cooking. So that's why I was saying it. Hey, Actually, the world's best restaurant is in Switzerland, in the small village I live in called Crissier. Well, a few years back, it was the world's best. And it's really, you know, kind of an old country restaurant here in Switzerland serving local food. And I like, you know, sort of the local, anything vegetarian, that's probably part of my upbringing. But over time, I've started eating a lot of fish and things like this and naturally getting these sort of omega-3s and into the diet but yeah and i have to ask because your daughter is a fan of your cooking what's her favorite dish that you cook at home yeah yeah so it has to be a soup you know like especially in today in, in cold weather out there here in switzerland's right now four degrees it will be like a squash soup or something and, and mixed with wild rice and some fish probably but so, you're getting her that fiber if she doesn't even know it and that's in that yeah <laughs> you're giving her some omega-3 and nutrients from the fish and then yeah white rice probably is not good but you can always switch it with the wild rice or brown rice yeah i find that interestingly enough and not there's anything wrong with wild rice if someone tolerates it but i find that people especially if they have digestive problems tend to do better with the white rice because it's a little bit easier to digest yeah starchy yeah sure yeah, if, yeah. do you ever go maybe when you're traveling Probably not right in Switzerland, but do you ever go to Starbucks? And when you are at Starbucks, if you go there, what do you order there? Gosh, I used to go to Starbucks when I was living in the States. I used to live in Connecticut. There was a lot of Starbucks and and I survived in Starbucks and and (laughs) subways. But I haven't been to a Starbucks for a long, long time. I do not drink coffee, unfortunately. So if I were to go to a Starbucks, I would drink probably green tea. 
from that oh, to tea. Hey, same thing, same thing. Do you drink tea at home? I mean, yeah, so, oh, great. Okay, what, what's your favorite type of tea? It has to be green tea. Uh, matcha is your favorite type of yeah. green tea? Yeah, exactly. Last question. What is a book that you've read in the last year? It could be fiction, it could be nonfiction, that's just got you thinking in a fresh new way. It has to be a book called The Outliers. I, I don't know if you've read that one. It's it's a book uh, sort of talking about how you know geniuses happen. Yeah. Are, are they naturally gifted, or or is it just a matter of putting enough hours into certain like musicians putting about ten thousand hours playing yeah. the guitar, and then they become so good at it, right? So. Yeah, it's just a very good dissection of how that being good at something is not chance. It's a, it's, yeah. it's a sort of... Uh, I've read that. Is that Malcolm Gladwell? I believe I've read it is, that. It is Malcolm Gladwell. All right. Yeah, yeah, it's a great book. I love all his books. The Tipping Point, it was out, I think, in yeah, the sure. late 90s. Yeah. It was such a good book. Yeah. Book. My friend, this has been a great, great conversation. Where can sure. people go to learn more about Urolithin A? Where can they sure. get it as far as the therapeutic dose that we've talked about in today's conversation? Sure. So they can go to TimelineNutrition.com and they can look at all the products. And, and if they want to learn more about the science, they can go to MitoPure.com, M-I-T-O-P-U-R-E.com. And, and so that's basically the trade name of the Pure Urolitine that our company called Timeline Nutrition sells and, and learn more about it. I love it. Timeline is offering 10% off your first order of MitoPure. All you have to do, as we mentioned here, TimelineNutrition.com slash Will Cole. We have a specific code for you all and a URL, TimelineNutrition.com slash Will Cole. Use code Will Cole and you can get 10% off your order. That's T-I-M-E-L-I-N-E-N-U-T-R-I-T-I-O-N.com slash Will Cole. And I, I love your starter pack. I think the starter pack is great because you can get different formats, right? What, what are the different formats we can get? Yeah. So, I mean, good uh, nutrition should just not be bad tasting, right? So it should be good tasting. So we have different product formats. We have the berry pomegranate fruit powder with the, with the MitoPure. So people can put it into smoothies and yogurts. And for those who are into muscle, they know high protein is good. So we have the 20 grams of whey protein with the 500 milligrams of yogurt. And then we have the pills just for easy convenience and, and there's a new one for called uh, ginger flavored so yeah different product options so timeline nutrition.com everybody slash will cole timeline nutrition.com slash will cole use code will cole you can get 10 percent off your first order thank you my friend we'll talk to you soon sure pleasure will thanks for talking Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back every Monday and Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon.
please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.